Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back from a brand new location, 119 South Main Street, the new headquarters of the Commercial Appeal. I'm Mark Giannato, the CA Sports Columnist. I'm joined by Drew Hill, our Tiger basketball beat writer, and Jason Munns, our podcast producer. Uh, Things are a little makeshift this week. The podcast studio here is not ready, so we are coming to you from the break room at the CA. Um, But Tiger basketball recruiting has not taken a break. It's been an exciting uh, couple weeks since we last did a podcast, Drew. Um, Boogie Ellis, officially a Tiger. I guess not officially. I don't know if he's signed yet, but committed to the Tigers. Lester Canonez, officially a Tiger. Rajon Tucker, committed to the Tigers. Precious Achua, possibly joining the mix later this weekend. We're, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. What does this all mean for Memphis next year, Drew? I mean, this is, this is, I mean, it seems to me this is about as good as anyone could have hoped for and maybe better. What an absolutely bananas weekend. I spent almost all weekend staring at my phone, and then all day Monday staring at my phone, waiting. And like, the, the story is, I was getting ready. So we have this brand new rooftop here, right? I don't know. Have you been up there yet, Mark? I don't know if you have. I have not. Well, we have this rooftop. I don't rooftop. like sunlight. No. We have this <laughs> Good one. Uh, we have this rooftop here. And we're, me and David Cobb, our Grizzlies writer, are getting ready to go upstairs and I had sort of been clued in over the weekend that Memphis could be getting a, a, another commitment on Monday. And I turned to David because we were we had discussed maybe leaving and not going up there. And I turned to David. I said, I'm just scared to go home. Like, I'm, I'm afraid to go home. And next thing you know, I go to get on the elevator. And as soon as the elevator doors slide open and I'm taking my step in, boom, Notification: Boogie Ellis has posted uh, on Instagram, and there it was, the commitment. And it's just been an absolutely just crazy few days between the news about Tom Bowen, all this Tiger yeah, basketball it news. It's just been totally wild from day one. And I think, um, you know, in many ways, it's just added to this circus that has um, become Memphis athletics right now. It's it's a exciting time and a fun time to be a Memphis fan, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll get to Tom Bowen's resignation as athletic director in a little bit, but um, so adding Lester, adding Boogie, and probably adding Rajon. Rajon Tucker has said he's going to keep his name in the NBA draft, but I mean quite frankly, unless he wants to be an undrafted free agent trying to make it and probably playing in the G League. My my, my educated guess here is he is going to college, going to play another year of college next year. To me, what's significant about those three, it is giving you – I mean, this Memphis team is going to have more quality outside shooters than any Memphis team in recent memory with those three. I mean, Boogie and Lester are arguably the top 
three-point shooters in this 2019 recruiting class nationally, um, you could argue. And Rajon Tucker shot 41% from three-point range. And now you've got a guy in Boogie who I think the big question with Boogie is, from talking to other coaches who recruited him, he wants to be a point guard. And to be to make it to the NBA, he's going to need to become a point guard. Um, and he will probably... I think part of the reason he's coming to Memphis is Penny Hardaway and Mike Miller sold him on, you're going to be a point guard here. The question is, is he truly a point guard? Because what he showed college coaches in AAU and high school is more of a playmaking, shot-making two-guard who's 6'2". And I think over time he will be able to develop into a point guard. Um, But the question is, Will he be that consistent, steady point guard you need this year? Because, obviously, you know, while you're looking ahead to the future, the future is also now. With, with this much talent, I mean, this is going to be a top 10 preseason team. Um, with Lester, he's also another playmaker. I think he doesn't get enough credit for his playmaking ability. Um, really improved his stock this year it seems, over his senior year, but another knockdown shooter. And then Rajon Tucker, in addition to being a 41% three-point shooter, is apparently a freakish athlete. Put up 29 points against Memphis when Little Rock played here uh, this season. Um, and it So it's fascinating. And then Precious is the big question mark remaining, and I guess Trendon Watford is also still out there. Um, it sounds like Precious is deciding between Kansas and Memphis, and Precious would give you sort of that second potential one-and-done alongside James Wiseman. And really, I mean, already this class, like, even if you don't get Precious, this class is just unbelievable. Um, And Precious would turn it into certainly the number one class in the country, I think. Um, Right now, it's arguably the number one class in the country. You add Precious... I, I don't see anyone else who has a better. Yeah, class. I think this. I think this number one class in the country thing is very. Um, it's a, it's up for grabs right now because for a while um, we were watching to see maybe Jaden McDaniels is going to go to Kentucky. That's going to put it out of reach. Memphis won't be able to catch them. And then people are are saying like factor in the grad transfer of Rajon Tucker, but Kentucky got a grad transfer too from Bucknell. I think his name's Siesta or. Cessina or something like something Sestina. along Sestina. There you go. Um, he was a he was a solid Nate college. Sestina. Yeah, he was a solid college player last year too. Um, so you know, it, it is uh, it's up for grabs right now. It really is. How do you think? I mean, they're now bringing in at least seven guys next year, correct? Yes, Does that sound right. Yeah, they have well seven as long as Rajon comes. comes. In addition to you're bringing back Alex Lomax, Tyler Harris, Isaiah Maurice, Lance Thomas, um, who else am I? Oh, uh, Ryan Boyce. Um, are we forgetting anyone? So is this where you're? No, that's it. Are you going down the road of nobody who was here last year could be on the floor? No, I, I think I think they could be on the floor. The question is, will they be on the like? There, there is inevitably going to be some people who are not going to be happy with, like, I don't, not going to be happy with their playing time. There's just, and and I guess the, the fear is, and I think it's premature to even really 
really focus on this. Like right now, you should be just excited about the fact that Penny has delivered on exactly sort of what he said he was going to do when he took this job, um, and really maybe even over delivered in terms of what he's doing nationally now on a national scale recruiting. My but, question, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but my question with that is on a little side tangent here for a minute if we could. How much doubt was there that he would deliver? Like how, I mean, he's Penny Hardaway, and he's got Mike Miller, and he's got all these guys, and he's got the shoes, and he's got the, you know well, I, I, mean? think, like how, I think I think in the moment, when I think back to when he got hired, I think everyone, not assumed, but hoped he would get the local kids, especially the guys who played for him with Team Penny, Alo, DJ Jeffries, James Wiseman, you know, even Ryan Boyce to a certain extent. Like, I think people, like I said, didn't assume, but that was part of the, the deal in hiring a guy who had no college experience, but he had these ties to these elite recruits. And then, I mean, at the press conference, though, Penny said, like Penny said explicitly, his strategy was going to be build a wall around Memphis and then go out nationally and strategically go recruit nationally. And that's exactly what he's done. And, like, when they hired Mike Miller, same thing. Like, yes, Mike Miller had never been a college assistant, but part of the allure of hiring Mike Miller was he had these ties to guys like Trend already to guys like Trendon Watford and Matthew Hurt, and um, you know. So what's what's fascinating about it, and why I think he's over delivered is like guys like Lester Quinones and Boogie Ellis. There were no pre-existing ties between Mike Miller and Penny Hardaway and those guys. They built that those relationships over the past year, and it speaks to how good... Like, I think what what I think is not overlooked, but you have to, you have to acknowledge is that not only is Penny have these pre-existing relationships that he's capitalizing on, he's a really savvy recruiter, and so is Mike Miller. Like, they know what they're doing, and they know how to build relationships... In a way um, that not many, I mean, just it, there. You could argue there's only two coach college coaches recruiting at the level Penny Hardaway is this year, and it's Coach K and John Calipari. And you hear it from the kids how savvy they are, how they're different from everybody else, especially with Mike Miller. Yeah, especially tell with them Mike about Miller. what those kids were telling you, and it, you haven't written the story yet, but I think it's really interesting what you told me about what how Mike Miller recruits. So, so with Mike. When I, when I went down to that event in Atlanta uh, two or three weeks ago, I asked every single one of the kids that I interviewed, what makes Mike Miller different than the average recruiter? And the kids just notice his savvy. They, they notice it. They say, well, well, first thing, the big thing is he FaceTimes everyone. He FaceTimes all these kids, and he's the only guy, really, that does that. Now, Penny has done it. Penny does it, too. Um, but... You know, some of these kids will be like, yeah, Michael FaceTime me. He'll have the golf course in the back. And, like, you know, you take notice of Mike Miller when he's on the phone with you and when he FaceTimes you. And I actually had the chance to sit down and, and talk to uh, Mason Miller. And I asked him. I was like, so do you think you help your dad in recruiting, like, by keeping him young and keeping him up to date on all this stuff? And he's like, that's just how my dad is. Like, that's just that's just how he is. Like, he just he just understands it. Uh, and how it works, and so some of these kids, uh, the one in particular that stuck out to me is 
Dior Johnson, who's 15 years old. Played, he played for the Oakland Soldiers first weekend. Same team as Boogie Ellis. Same team. Well, it, same. Yeah, same program. Didn't program. play on the yeah, same yeah. team as Boogie Ellis, but same, played on the same team as Jalen Green and Zaire Williams for one weekend. Other guys they're recruiting. Other in the yeah, years. other guys that they're yeah. recruiting, and um, I, there's stories on both of those guys on CommercialAppeal.com, so you should read those. But uh, Dior Johnson's like, you know, it's funny. I, I talk to Mike, and sometimes I just forget he's even a coach, and I get caught up, and I'm like telling him just like about my life and my problems as like a 15 year old, you know, going in like a high school kid, and uh, and Mike just relates, um, and so. It just feels like they're friends almost, uh, which is an interesting style of recruiting, but it's also something that you know, sets you apart from everybody else. So, so I think everyone wants to know, we're, like we said, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Precious Achua has said he's going to announce this weekend. Are they going to get Precious Achua? What's your gut tell you? As of a month ago, I felt really good about Memphis getting Precious Achua, and since then, it's it's been a slow sort of drain towards the other direction. Um, now, I, do I, I I think Memphis is in a spot that's good for them. Um, having Lester Quinones helps for sure. Having James Wiseman helps for sure. They have pieces that Kansas doesn't have. But Kansas has something to offer that Memphis can't offer, and that is he would be the star of that team. Um, and maybe maybe R.J. Hampton goes there as well. well. That's the thing. What I'm curious with Precious is, with a guy like that, is it a, an attractive thing that Kansas, that, that Memphis has brought in all these, is bringing in all these guys? Or is it a, a detractor in that, you know, like whoever, if he comes here, he'll obviously be a very big piece, but he's not going to be the star of the show. Like it's just, I mean, it's not possible. I don't know if anyone, this whole collective group is going to be the star. Um, and so I wonder how that plays into this. Um, and so that will be fascinating to see. But like I said, I mean, he seems to fit, you know, compare, you compare him to Trenton Watford. Like Trent, they're both very good players, but Precious, I think, better fits the style of play Penny likes. Like he is a he is a four who can guard multiple positions, but is you know his his strength is not in the half court. It's playing up and down, which is what Penny wants to do. Um, and so, so while we're while we're debating Precious Achua, what what the the common thought. A couple of weeks ago was that wherever Lester went, Precious would go, right? I don't think anyone's had a good read. Precious, I, to his credit, in this day and age of, like, recruits giving a top 36 list and, like, cutting it down and, like, you know, like, give, sharing every little detail, he has been very close to the vest, private. His whole camp has been pretty quiet about what they're doing. Um, and so... Yes, I think it helps having Lester, but there's a reason Memphis is the only... If they were truly a package deal, more schools would have been recruiting both of them. Um, and I think Precious is going to do what is in Precious's best interest. I do think that it helps to have it, Lester. It do, no, I mean, no, rather no than be sitting here with oh, Lester, can no doubt. not. I think, I think without Lester, it would very clearly favor Kansas. Um, but because you have Lester, 
Memphis very much is in the mix. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. No matter what, I mean, here's the thing. No matter what now, this is a top five, arguably one of the best classes in the country. This is a top, even without Precious, I think this is a preseason top ten team. I agree. Um, with Precious, you know, you're, you're talking top five maybe. Um, and, I mean, they're... They, Tigers are back in the national picture, no matter what now. I mean, like, Penny had his own PTI segment the other day, just talking about his recruiting. Um, They are the talk of college basketball right now. And, um, you know, yeah, there's some concerns once you get to the season. You know, like, how is Penny going to keep all these guys happy? You know, know, you basically... You win. I mean... Well, yes yes and no. no. Like, you, you look at the Boston Celtics in the NBA. They loaded up on talent this year, and there is such thing as too much talent. Now it's a lot better to have too much talent than not have enough talent. Right. But it's a it's a balancing. Like Brad Stevens, you, go watch if you're interested in seeing how like this can kind of go wrong. Go listen to Brad Stevens after Boston got eliminated by the Bucks, and he talked about just the challenges of having to deal with the fact that like your tenth and eleventh guys feel like they should be starting. And so if, if something isn't going exactly right, those guys are going to want to start. And and you can only, like, go look at the best teams in college basketball. Most of them don't play more than nine guys and arguably play seven or eight. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, so I think the there's hardest... going to be some guys who are going to, you know, and it's going to be on Penny to balance all of these egos. And, and I'm not saying he can't do it. Like, maybe he can't, you know, obviously I don't think he, he, he convinced all these guys to come, so maybe he can convince them to take on roles that maybe they did not foresee for themselves. You know what's fascinating to me is last year we talked so much about how Penny has this learning curve and as the season goes along, he's going to get better as a college coach and the team will hopefully get better. And uh, by the the time the next year rolls around, he'll be a better college coach than he was before. This is an entirely different task than last year. Last year he had a really experienced team. Um, well, he had an all-senior starting five uh, that he could rely on. And the talent was, you know, in in the middle of the pack, in the upper echelon of the AAC, I would say. And But you didn't have to worry about having too much, it felt like. So... For, for this year, he's going to have a young team, he's going to have a ton of talent, and he's got to find a way to balance all of this, which is going to be a, like a totally different job than last year. It's going to be a totally different job, and it's he's still going to have that exact same learning curve that he had last year. I'm not saying last year wouldn't doesn't help him, but I'm just saying that this year's coaching job is not even close to the same coaching job. Well, here's what we learned last year. You mentioned the all-senior starting five. He didn't settle on that till halfway through the year. And what he proved last year was that he's not going to just play favorites and lose games. Like, he is going, he, he is a competitive MFer, and he wants to win. And so I am confident that he is going to play the guys who give him the best chance to win no matter what their recruiting ranking is. I really do think he's proven he will do that. And so, again, how is that going to affect whoever ends up on the short end of that stick? Because 
inevitably there are going to be a few guys. And so, and like honestly, if you're recruiting like this, there's going to be some transfers at the end of next year, maybe even midway through the year, maybe even in the you know before the season starts. Like you never know. And like, but like that's just kind of what you've. That's just part of part of the deal at this point when you're recruiting this many guys at this level. Um, and we've already seen. I mean, heck, half of his rec- his initial recruiting class has has transferred out. Whether it was in it, you know, whether it was their decision or or Penny kind of was like, hey, you, you might be better off leaving. Um, and so that's just part of the deal. And it's going to be, you know, his biggest task next year because, like, I mean, quite frankly, talent wise, they're going to overwhelm the AAC. Like, like I, I, I've, I went as far as to say I think that they should obliterate the AC. I think this is going to look a lot like those Calipari Memphis teams that went fifteen and one, fourteen and two against Conference yeah. USA. That's, that's exactly that's kinda, how I feel. Yeah, that's kind of that's 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 what it looks like on paper. And their seed in the NCAA tournament will depend how on how well they do in non-conference play. Um, and how good the league is. How, and, and how good be, the other team. I mean, like, Houston will yeah. give them a game. You know, there'll be teams that give them a it'll be, it'll be tough, like, having young guys on the road in conference play. They're going to get challenged. But ultimately, I mean, like, last year, the last year the AAC, there was one top 100 recruit, if you go by 247 Sports, and it was Nate Hinton at Houston. Memphis is bringing in six just by itself this year. <laughs> like I mean, like there was one in the entire AAC last year. They're they're that freshman class. So um, talent wise, they should overwhelm the league, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, let's get to the other news that's going on in the athletic department because it does, I think, relate a little bit to basketball. Um, Tom Bowen resigned Tuesday. Uh, an abru- I would say it's an abrupt. Resignation, but not necessarily an unexpected resignation. It's always going to be abrupt when somebody just resigns. No, well, usually, usually when a guy, when when there's a transition like this with an athletic director, it's I'm resigning effective of as of this date. And when it's cordial and it's like mutually agreed upon, and there, you know, it, it they it the, the a major position like athletic director or even you go up. Go up the line, provost. But well, they, here, give, well, they give a, they give the school a chance to transition. And I'm not saying Tom is like wrong to have to have resigned immediately, but it just tells you kind of the dynamics at play here that this just happened all of a sudden. Well, hold basically. on, because yesterday at the press conference, Allie Prescott said that David Rudd, President Rudd. Came to him several weeks ago. Yeah, but I'm talk talking like this. usually like in the, the eyes of the public, it may be abrupt, but at the university, it, it's not so abrupt. Yeah, but I'm sev- I'm not even talking about several weeks. Usually, when stuff like this happens at universities, there is not an interim whatever unless there's something went wrong. Usually, the the like when R.C. Johnson left, he w- he was the AD and then was basically the AD for he announced he was. Retiring, resigning, whatever you want to call it, and then for like however many months he remained the AD until they found Tom Bowen. Like this search that they're doing with with Allie Prescott as interim AD, it, if if the circumstances were normal, Tom Bowen would remain the AD, and then they'd hire a new AD. Um, but it, I think it, it's a it's proof and not proof. We we know we we kind of have the proof, but I mean. Ultimately, 
Bowen's relationship with President David Rudd was not healthy. It was not good. Um, they did not see eye to eye on a lot of things. And um, I wrote in a column today. I think ultimately, I don't think I don't think it's an indictment on Tom Bowen. I don't think it's an indictment on David Rudd. I think it's an indictment on how they allowed their relationship to sour over the years. And this was probably the best thing for both everyone involved because the university's athletic department was succeeding in spite of this, not because of it. Like it was, you know, there was just, you know, Bowen. If if that were the case, you didn't really, you didn't notice it on the playing fields. Yeah, but I mean like, you you know, just just the fact that they didn't see eye to eye on very many decisions, like you just can't have that. Like, and ultimately... You know, pro, you know, like David Rudd was going to win this power struggle because he's the one, he's the president, but two, I think he's more in touch and certainly more popular with the fan base and alumni and donors than Tom Bowen. Now, Tom Bowen had his strengths, and like we should highlight the fact that you know he took over the department when you know it was kind of a mess administratively, and he hired good people to come in here and. He, football, the football team was one of the worst in the entire country, the football program. And though he didn't hire Justin Fuente, um, he did hire Mike. He, was, he wasn't, you know, I know there was a search committee, but he was the AD when they hired Mike Norvell. And he, you know, he was a football guy. He came from an NFL background, and he invested. He, he, he helped the school invest in football like few athletic directors before him had. And you see the result now. This is arguably the best group of five football program in the country, and um, you know maybe UCF is, has had a better, probably better. You know, there's a, it's it's up there with any of the group of five football programs in the country, and that will be his legacy here. Um, the problem is, as good as football has gotten, what Penny has shown is ultimately this is a basketball school, and Tom was not a basketball guy. And did not have a good pulse on basketball. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I've heard, yes, he was the AD. You know, he's responsible for the Tubby Smith hire. But I also think there were major um, boosters who were also in favor of hiring Tubby Smith. Um, and then ultimately, from what my sources have told me, he did not want to fire Tubby Smith after year two. And obviously, with what we've seen Penny has done, Probably, you know, that was a mistake. And, and really, ever since Penny got hired, a hiring that David Rudd really spearheaded, um, it feels like Tom has been neutered to a certain extent um, as AD. Um, no, like he just, you don't, you know, he wasn't making very many public appearances. And it was very clear that the major decisions in the athletic department were being made by someone else. Um, and. You know, like I'm not saying that in a negative way towards Tom. It's just the reality. He didn't. You know, there's not very many athletic directors in the country who don't get to choose their basketball coach, their men's basketball coach. That's rare, and so it was. It had become kind of an untenable situation. And like I said, I think it's bet. It was the bet. This was the best outcome for the university, and it probably should have happened sooner because these two guys didn't. You know they got they got along well enough, I guess, publicly. But behind the scenes, they're both sniping at each other all the time. 
So, in terms of who's going to be next, obviously they've said that they're not going to be in a rush mm-hmm. on this. They're going to take their time forming a search committee. Um, they're going to decide if they're going to hire a search firm. Um, and then sort of start to make progress on, on who they're going to hire. Who do you think... I, I'm not asking for necessarily a person, but what are some of the traits that are going to be most important? And you know what what marks on people's resume are, are going to matter the most when it comes to who they want to hire? I have, a, I have a, an idea that fundraising, especially since yes. you're still a group of five school, is going to have a major, major yeah. impact. Here's what I think. One... I think it's going to be someone with a basketball background, someone who, who knows basketball. And two, I think where where Rudd – so like the, 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 the kind of the dilemma or the dichotomy or the, the split with Bowen and Rudd came down to this. Bowen thought Rudd meddled too much in athletics, and Rudd felt he had to meddle at t- – not meddle is probably not the right word. He had to get involved in athletics because of Tom's shortcomings. And that was where they kind of split off. And I think one of the big things that um, that this next athletic director has to do is they have to be better at, one, being a public face of the athletic department than Tom was. And, two, they have to be better at cultivating relationships with major donors. Um, I think David Rudd is very good at that. But... He's also the university president. He shouldn't be the lead guy for athletics cultivating relationships. It, it needs to be the And as we director. see, like, he's public about Like, he's the school's biggest cheerleader on Twitter. I mean, especially oh, I mean, when it comes there, out. There, I mean, like, like people say, you know, he did. Like, you could argue that Tom Bowen was right, that David Rudd meddled. But I don't think you can argue that he's been pretty successful uh, when he dips his hand into athletics, um, and but I think fundraising is going to be a key aspect, a key trait of the person they hire. Uh, I think that is going to be more important than anything else. So I think, you know, what I was told yesterday was, you know, look at some of the, you know, go find some. They're going to go look at some of the top, you know, maybe Big Twelve, SEC, associate athletic directors who are known for fundraising. If you want, like, kind of that up and coming guy, um, or, or even, girl, or girl, yeah, that's right. I, I shouldn't preclude them from hiring a female because that would be a that might be a smart hire too. Um, kind of bucks buck the conventional norm. Um, I think Ren Baker at North Texas, who was here before, although he's a football guy, yeah, but he knows he knows he was the basketball guy here. Yeah, like when Tom first became AD. Ren was the top associate AD and handled basketball, and he knows the dynamics at Memphis. Now, the question is, does he want to – like, I think this is where it gets complicated in who you hire because ultimately who you hire as athletic director has to come to grips with the fact that you have a president that is really involved in athletics, and until he proves otherwise, that's what he's going to be considered. Like, may, uh, like, I think David Rudd would argue that um, he was really involved with athletics because he felt he had to be, and he, you know, and with the right AD, he won't necessarily be that way. But for now, that's his reputation. And two, whoever you hire is also going to be lower on the pecking order than Penny Hardaway. Here's another thing I think that 
we should probably consider and think about. And this is something that's new, is that under this new uh, you know, media rights deal, they have a brand new uh, sort of responsibility to produce all of these broadcasts for their sports here at the university. And so I think somebody with at least some sort of media sort of background would be someone to keep an eye on. I know um, Dwayne Peavy was a guy whose name came up when uh, in Vanderbilt's AD search. He's been the, he's the deputy athletic director at Kentucky, but he is very involved in their basketball program, so he's got that basketball background, and he is the liaison with the SEC network and knows how to work the media and do all that. So I think that's maybe another thing you have to keep your eye on is somebody that can help get them organized and get that off the ground is probably going to come into the picture as well. Well, the other thing that's fascinating about this job right now is, like, arguably, I don't know if there's another time where Memphis basketball and Memphis football have been at such a high level at the same time, and you've got two coaches in Mike Norvell and Penny Hardaway who are really ideal fits for their position. And as an AD, you know, where ADs are judged ultimately is, I know we talk about fundraising, whatever, but ultimately, like, they gain their reputations by who they hire for those two football and men's basketball jobs. And I would argue that whoever comes in probably is not going to be able to hire a better fit than Mike Norvell or Penny Hardaway in the long term, like whenever Mike leaves or if Penny leaves, you know, like, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's you on the surface, you'd think that Memphis being at this kind of peak level in basketball and men and, and football makes this a really attractive job. And I think it does to a certain extent, but there's also another dynamic here in that, you know, it's almost like whoever succeeds Tom Bowen has, you know, has a really, really tough act to follow in the sense that, you know, if, if for instance, Mike Norvell leaves, it's going to be really hard to find a better coach than Mike Norvell. Yeah, that's, that's, you know? that's one question I wanted to ask you, um, and you're more involved in football than me. Um, what was Tom Bowen's relationship with Norvell like? Do you think the fact that Tom Bowen's not here may impact Norvell's future I, I don't, coaching decision? I think they had a good relationship. Whereas I don't know, I don't think, I don't think, I think Penny and Tom Bowen kind of, like even just right right off the bat when Penny got hired, when he wanted to hire Larry Brown and Bowen was the one who blocked it, you know, kind of basically said, I don't want Larry Brown as an assistant coach. Like they kind of butted heads a little bit right away. And I don't think they disliked each other. Like Penny was very respectful to Tom, but I also don't think there was, I don't think there was a strong relationship there. But I do think there was with Mike and Tom. Tom would always they 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 met weekly. I guess is what Tom and and Mike would always say. And so I think, but I don't think necessarily. Like I think if I think if Mike was going, I think it more depends on who the next AD is. Is how it will affect Mike Norvell. Like I don't think, like if Mike leaves after next season, I don't think it's going to be because Tom Bowen isn't here. It's going to be because he had another great year and a really good job opportunity came up. You know, I don't. I don't think it's just because Tom left, he's gonna leave. I don't think like, it's a. It was a good relationship, but I don't think they were tied at the hip. Um, and so, it's gonna be fascinating. You know, there's other names out there. I mean, Tim Duncan, who 
I, I don't, did he play played with Penny? Penny yeah. yeah, played with Penny. Played basketball at University of Memphis. Totally Madlock. Well. Memphis State. Um, yeah. He just became the AD at New Orleans, but hasn't actually started. Um, maybe he's an option. Um, I would bet Penny vouches for him. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and and we know that Penny is arguably the most powerful guy in the athletic department at this point. Um, you know, if they really want to. Go controversial. Go controversial and swing for the fences. There's Tom Jurich from yeah. Louisville. A guy Jason and I were talking about this morning who's been super successful where he's been is uh, Tommy Tommy McLeland at uh, Louisiana Tech. They're the only – he's he set fundraising records each of the last four years, built multi-million dollar press box, luxury seats. Oh, multi-million dollar press box. Hold the phone. Yeah, Where's yeah. your favorite? No, fundraising. Your favorite? But he, he, he broke their fundraising records and their basketball team the last, uh, I want to say, went five years in a row with 23 wins and their football team won four bowl games in a row. He's been really successful. When he took over there in 2013, he was the youngest AD in the, uh, to ha- at an FBS school. So maybe he's a guy you keep an eye on. Well, it is a fascinating time for University of Memphis athletics. That is for sure. Um, you know, we've got this arguably a super team in basketball. You've got a football team that's going to challenge for another for an gonna AC a title. Going to be a challenge for an A. Let's. I know Vegas is saying they're favoring again. They're going to challenge for an AAC title again. Let's just say that. Let's okay. not jinx them. And you've got now this AD search um, for a new AD, and then. We haven't even really mentioned Allie Prescott, who wanted to be the AD 23, 24 years ago when they hired R.C. Johnson, didn't get the job, took over the, became the first GM and president of the Memphis Redbirds, and now, basically a quarter century later, he's the interim AD at Memphis. Um, so that's a pretty cool story in and of itself. Um, but we will be back, I guess, I don't know. Maybe maybe next week if, if Precious commits, um, maybe, maybe Trendon Watford, yeah. maybe someone else. Um, but it's been a fun ride, and it, it looks like it's gonna keep on going. Till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Drew and Jason. Um, hopefully, we'll have a podcast studio next time we talk. <laughs>